Family Church, are you, are you doing good this morning? Listen, I'm not like fully 100% from a physical standpoint. Um, I had the, how many of you have had that nasty flu? Right? Yeah, it's going around. So we got a little bit later. It's been in our house for like three weeks. Um, we're on the tail end of it. We're passing it around, uh, all five of us. The dog hasn't gotten it yet. Um, but man, got the flu and then I got an ear infection and I got a sinus infection all at the same time. So if you see me popping cough drops, I have, look, I'm, I'm like double stacked with green tea, with honey. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to hang on here, but I'm, uh, I'm super excited to be up here with you this morning. It's good to be here. Um, just know that if this is your first time here, if you've been coming here a few months, we just hope that you, uh, that you sense the presence of Jesus. Uh, we always want this place to be uh, full of love and acceptance and everything that we do we do out of the goodness of God. We do it for the glory of God. So are you guys ready this morning? I'm locked and loaded. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, let's, uh, do you have, your, you have your Bible this morning? No. Yes. Maybe. Phone. Yes, we're in 2019. I still use the old school version just because I, I like to make notes in the, in the margins um, of, of, these, of these papers here. Uh, we're going to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to start um, a small portion of scripture, and then we're going to dive in. You guys know me. We like to dive in and really uh, tear this scripture apart and and see it for for what it really is. Um, John verse 4, the gospel of John chapter 4, verses, uh, we'll start in verse 21. When you have it, say, got it. Let's do it. Jesus, if you don't have it, it's up behind me. How about that? right? Uh, Same word, many methods. Let's do this. Verse 21, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The title of today's message is called, It No Longer Matters. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are in this place. God, we understand that times change and seasons change, but God, we're thankful that your word never changes. We're thankful that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, as we, as, as one body, as one community, sit in this place together, I pray that you would open eyes and you would open ears. I pray, God, that your presence would be completely tangible in this place so that we can experience you in all of your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Any, uh, any of you recently find yourselves in, like, maybe an awkward situation or, like, a scary situation? How many of you like awkward situations? Like, there are people who, when you find yourself in an awkward situation— uh, they, kind, they just kind of tend to like close down. And then there's other people who like they're in that, that awkward situation and they, and they try to make the best of it. And it, it, it either makes it worse. Um, it, it almost always makes it worse, right? Awkward situation. So um, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was working a sales job and uh, this sales job required me to go uh, meet with clients in their homes, okay? Uh, here in the Columbus area, surrounding areas. When you have a sales job and you are meeting all different kinds of people, let me tell you something. There are a lot of different awkward 
scary, maybe frightening uh, situations that you find yourself in. You're like, oh my God, where is this kid going this morning? Um, so I go to this house. We're, mind you, we're in downtown Columbus, Woodrow Avenue in downtown Columbus. You can see the skyline. You are living it. You are breathing it, right? There's uh, dogs barking. There's cars going past. You hear a siren off in the distance. Um, it's just, we, we're right there in the thick of it. And I finish my, finish my presentation, close the sale. Yes right? And so we get to talking. I consider myself a people person. So I, uh, I just, we just get to talking about life, interests, hobbies. That's always a point of conversation I like, to, I like to hit, right? So this couple has a, has a fascination with, um, with animals, like not dogs, not cats, really. They had a dog, but like animals that you uh, see at the zoo, so we're talking and, you know, and this and that. And, and they're like, well, I, we, have, we, have, uh, we have one in particular that, you know, that, we would, that we'd like to show you. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm thinking, okay, like, let's, what could, what could possibly, you know, go wrong? What, what could I possibly see? So we are actually meeting on their porch. We go out, we, we travel down the porch along the side, and, and you just, all of a sudden, on this sidewalk, you see this uh, shed. It's just built of plywood. It's nothing pretty, right? And there's a door. We go in the door, and uh, don't really see anything yet, and they're still talking to me, and, and I'm noticing, like, that it is really humid in there. And before I know it, I see a big, like, pool. You know, like, those fishing ponds that you see at Lowe's and Home Depot? that are like, obviously they're on display. You can see that they're out of the ground. Well, there's one of those big ones there and it's just like, it's really hot. And I notice like the heaters surrounding it. And before you know it, from the behind that pond comes a six foot alligator. This couple had an alligator in their shed at their house on Woodrow Avenue in downtown Columbus. This thing comes walking around so like, yeah, I'm the man. Uh, who the heck are you, right? And they're like, you know, the couple's like talking to it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm literally, I'm like holding the doorknob because I literally just met them like an hour ago. And I don't know if I'm going to be this alligator's dinner or like what's going to happen. Like my palms start getting sweaty. There is nothing between me and this alligator except maybe 10, 15 feet. And so, you know, me being a man, you know, you try to, you know, you try to play tough and act tough and all this. And they start asking me, like, if I wanted to feed it. And I'm like, I'm thinking, no, like, that's okay. Like, you guys are crazy. No, I'm not going to feed it out. Like, they were super friendly, right? Just thought maybe I was um, uh, Steve Irwin, you know, crocodile hunter, trying to, trying to feed their, their, pet, their pet alligator. Um, but I can remember it just, like, it came around and it, like, stopped. And it just stared, you know, like, like before it, it, it kills its prey, you know? Um, really awkward situation, right? Really extreme, uh, to me, frightening situation. Maybe you haven't been in that kind of situation before, but how many of you know that the Bible is full of awkward situations? Maybe seemingly um, controversial um, interactions and, and conversations. In fact, the portion of scripture that we're going to look at this morning is a highly, is a highly controversial uh, situation that we find because of, of the way it was in ancient culture. Jesus, maybe many of you have, have 
read this portion of scripture before, and I'm going to I'm going to try to unpack this as best I can because it's just really good. Jesus needs to travel to Judea. He travels from Judea to get to Galilee to, to get to Galilee, but there's a city between those two. And instead of Jesus going around this city, and we'll unpack that in a little bit, he decides to go through the city and he encounters someone here in Samaria. Verse four, or excuse me, verse one, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples that John, through Jesus himself, didn't baptize, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Hold up, press the pause button. There's, there's so much historical context just in those few verses and I wanna unpack this a little bit for you, okay? When uh, the children of Israel came out of the promised land, there were, two, there were two mountains. One on the north was Mount Gerizim and the one on the south was, was Mount Ebal. These two mountains were very symbolic to the nation of Israel. And right in the middle was a city called Shechem, which was also Samaria and the surrounding areas. This city geographically was right in the center of of the promised land that that the nation of Israel had entered into. Jesus, being a Jew, decides to travel through Samaria. When the tribe, when when the nations of Israel went into captivity, you had your northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Samaria was included in the northern kingdom. When they went into captivity, the king of Assyria had sent inhabitants to infiltrate the land. And these inhabitants intermarried with the Jews in that region, thus forming a new people group called the Samaritans. The Jews, on one hand, considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They were less than human. So Jesus, being a Jew, travels to Samaria. And and here we see a very intimate encounter with a Samaritan woman. Did you hear what she said? He says he sits down because he's tired. The Son of God sits down because he is tired. And here we're going to unpack and open one of, one of the greatest stories in all of scripture. And he says, he says, give me a drink. And she's like, who is this guy? I'm a, Samar- I'm, I'm, I'm a Samaritan woman and, and you're a Jew. We don't have any, we don't, we're not, we don't speak. We're not, we're not supposed to. And here's the other strange thing, and it's about to get real scandalous in here, okay? Um, yeah, you like, you like that word, don't you? Scandalous. Let me try to unpack this because this is, this, yeah, this is going to be real good. Um, many scholars believe and think that when Jesus said, 
will you give me a drink of water? Water in that ancient culture, it wasn't just something that you, that you drank to live, but it, it, was also, it was also interpreted as uh, sexual intercourse. So before, look, I'm getting some eyes here now, right? No, I'm not making any assumptions. No, we know the story, right? Some of you, right? But let me, I say that because we need to unpack the history of where they are. Where are they? Where specifically are they? They're at a well, right? Whose well? Jacob's well, right? The Samaritan culture, the Samaritan way of life, every Samaritan knew of Jacob's well. They knew of the story. They knew it was, it was a place where uh, God had set and God had ordained, right? Well, there were some things that happened at wells, especially in the Old Testament. Did you know on three different occasions, there were three different engagements, a man being engaged to a woman at a well? Genesis 24, Genesis 29, and Exodus chapter 2. The well was symbolic of the beginning of a relationship which immediately led to marriage, which you know what you do when you're married, right? Let's unpack, let's unpack this, right? I'm, being, I'm just being real with you this morning. But also Jacob's well, it was also a place of rape. It was also a place of revenge. See, when Jacob married Leah, they had children, and one of, one of Jacob and Leah's daughters was Dinah. Dinah came to the well one day to draw water, and she was raped by a man named Hamer. Raped by a man named Hamer, viciously. Not killed, but we understand what, what it, what it may, may have felt like or may have been like at, at that well. And mind you, like, these were the Bible stories that the Samaritans like, would tell their children right? It was, a, it, was a, it was a popular place. It was a meaningful and important place. So as soon as Joseph, as soon as um, Dinah's uh, brothers heard about it, they decided to intermarry with, with the, the women in that culture. They were circumcised to keep in tradition with family custom. And then they actually, to get revenge for Dinah's rape, they killed all of the men in that region. You didn't know any of this was in the Bible, did you? Pretty, pretty serious stuff, right? So here, let's fast forward, right? To now you have Jesus who is fully God and fully man. And he comes to Jacob's well where there is a Samaritan woman and he is speaking to her and he is asking her for a drink of water. She's like, you are asking me for a drink of water? I am a Samaritan woman. Samaritans, Jews, they have no dealings with each other. And if you actually translate dealings with in, in some translations, it translates in the, in the Greek to um, be affiliated with or have sexual intercourse with. What do you think Jesus is trying to do here? Let's keep reading, right? Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about eternal life. <clears throat> He's putting himself in the midst of a geographical place to let this woman know that she can have eternal life, right? The Samaritan culture, the Samaritan way, they believed 
in the Messiah as well, just like the Jews did. Remember, they were half-breeds. And she gets caught up and she's unable to comprehend. She's, she's unable to, to comprehend the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yeah, you've come to this well for many, many years to draw water. Water, water from a well was, was a way of life, is the way that they lived. And this woman came here, came to the well alone. She came by herself. She was an outcast from her own society. She was an outcast from her own people. Coming to a well to get water and chatting was the social high point of a woman's day. Here we see her alone. She's outcast and she is marginalized by even her own people. And Jesus on the scene, he is on the scene and he is speaking of eternal life to this woman. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is, he's laying, he is laying it down in this scripture here. Then she says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, to clear up some confusion about the whole, uh, the whole sexual intercourse and innuendos and the, the parallels that we see with the situation of this woman. It's very, very interesting that the writer of this gospel, John, remember, he's not even here, right? The disciples went off. Jesus was by himself. John, under the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit, decides to slap verse 16 in there. Go, Jesus says, go and get your husband. As if to say, no, that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that Jesus is the only one that offers eternal life. There's nothing that precedes or gives us any clear indication before this scripture that Jesus is about to ask this woman, go and get your husband. Because of, this, of, because of the history and the culture and knowing that men and women were engaged at wells. This is where it gets really good. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. What does Jesus do? In a polite way, in a kind way, he uses the truth to expose this woman's life. Now, some people believe that she was an adulteress, right? Some people, some scholars believe that she had, was a widow and her, all of her husbands that she did have die. But he speaks the truth and we can tell by the next verse that this woman immediately begins to want to talk controversy with Jesus. She says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Something we have to realize too. Remember I mentioned the two mountains, right? Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. When you read in the scriptures 
Mount Ebal is a prominent place where people were instructed to build an altar and worship God. In the Samaritan culture, Samaritans had twisted the scripture and had made Mount Gerizim their place of worship. So what this woman immediately does is she immediately begins to think of how she can make atonement for her sins. Atonement is a big church word that, is the same, that means the same as cover or de- deplete or delete their sin. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they disobeyed God, sin entered the world, right? What was the penalty for sin? Death. Something had to die. And God in his graciousness and his loving kindness cast out Adam and Eve from the garden because he didn't want them to live in their sin forever. But from that point forward, there were specific, there were specific instructions on how to make atonement for sin. And the way that the children of Israel did that in this text here was they went to Jerusalem to sacrifice a lamb, to make atonement, to sacrifice an animal, to make atonement for their sin, to cover their sin. So the Samaritan woman, if we can dive down a little deeper, she immediately begins to think about the sin and the error and the wrongdoing in her own life. And church, isn't that some of the way we, isn't that sometimes how we, uh, how we want to take care of, of the, the sin and, and the things that, that we do wrong in our own lives? We immediately begin to self-internalize or we immediately begin to think, man, I just, I just made, a, made a big mess. God, I, what, do, what do I need to do? And so she knows that not only Jesus, it, it, he was obviously a Jew, but now he's a, he's a prophet in her eyes because he just, he just told her business, right? And she is immediately asking him, well, what, what, where, where, should I, where should I atone for my sin? How, how, how can I take care of this? You know, we're in a series of grace and I believe that this story here is, is a perfect example and a perfect picture of how sometimes we as followers of Jesus uh, wanna do things our way. This woman wanted to take care of her sin. She was concerned about it and she was confused and she thought that she was the one that, she, that was gonna have to take care of it because Jesus pointed it out. How many times do we, how many times do, we do that? We have this thing in our lives. We have this, this sin. We're constantly putting something else on the throne where God belongs. And we try through self-help or, or we try through, through positive self-talk to, to pull ourselves up by our, our bootstraps. When in reality, grace has already made the way. Grace has already paved the way. This controversy had been happening for years and years and years. Church, can I remind you as well that Jesus had many interactions with people who didn't even believe the things he believed in, let alone were they of his same people group. This is an amazing, amazing picture of something that we all deal with or we all struggle with, right? That's why it's so very important, church, that whenever somebody walks through these doors and they believe something differently than we do, they look a different way than we do, they talk a different way than we do. We gotta love them. 
we got to know that just, just as the Son of God sat down at a well as a woman approached, so we can be bearers of the Holy Spirit when there are people who walk in from a tired and a weary world and they sit down in one of these pews. It can be the same exact encounter. It can be the same exact encounter. We're so quick to want to be judgmental. We're so quick to want to be, uh, want to cast aside people who have different values or different beliefs than us. But this is the mission of the church, right? The church is supposed to be the light of the world. The church is supposed to be a people that will take no for an answer whenever God's grace has been made available to everybody. So she immediately begins to say, well, where, where, do, where do I need to make sacrifice? Because you believe that it should be in Jerusalem, and, and my people believe that it, it's, it's here on Mount Gerizim. And I love his response. He says, verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, meaning that Jesus would come of the, he would come from the Jewish lineage. But the time is coming indeed. It's here now where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus says the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. You can't put an inanimate object and, rel- and relate that inanimate object to the spirit. The spirit is something that can't be seen. Understand what he's saying here. He's saying it doesn't matter whether it's in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter whether it's in Gerizim because salvation is here. Are you seeing this? Salvation is standing right in front of her. The time is coming and indeed it is here now. The son of man is standing in front of this woman and saying, it, doesn't, it no longer matters anymore. It doesn't matter what your past has looked like. It doesn't matter what your future is going to look like. Those who worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is now making this relationship with God a matter of the heart. It's not about sin. It's not about our wrongdoing. It's not about our ability It's about God making a way where there seemed to be no way. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah, a chosen one. They believed that a person would come who would save them from their sins. And now he is here on the spot. And he's saying there is a time that's coming and it's here now that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You know, in speaking of this subject and topic of grace, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to comprehend and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to understand at times because it's so uh, beyond our, our scope or, or our imagination because we're human. But man, what if the church talked more about the grace of God instead of sin. 
Sure, we understand that sin keeps us separated from God. It's what happened in the garden. But God had made a way for us. And just as this woman was talking about how to atone for her sin, I think the message of the church needs to be more about grace than it is about sin. We need to be known for what we are for than what we're against. Every time I talk with somebody, whether it, most of the time it's at work, but the topic of church comes up and they automatically think of all the things they're doing wrong and why they're imperfect and why they'll never step foot inside of a church. Sure, we, can, we understand the enemy speaks and the enemy talks to us, but there have been people as well that I've talked to that has said the, the sole reason why they will not step inside the foot of the church is because of the message of the church, what they're, what, what they're against. And please, I'm not here to beat anybody up, but if we can see this story for what it truly is, yes, Jesus understood everything about this woman, but yet he still loved her enough to give her the truth. We see a perfect picture here of, of what grace looks like. Let me give you three, three observations I wanna make from this, from this text. Three observations, and some of these I've already said, but I wanna hone in on them. We're in the middle of the series here, and, and uh, just asking God, what is, what, what is this? what does this story have to do with your grace? And just the, the simple fact that Jesus traveled through this town and told this woman, listen, the scripture says in a few verses after that that she, she questions about the Messiah and Jesus says, hey, hey you're looking at him <laughs> pretty much. And she, she can't believe it. She runs into the town and she says, come, come and, and meet a man who told me, uh, told me everything about my life. He, she said, he, he knows everything. She was obviously transformed. But instead of Jesus going around Samaria, he went straight through Samaria. You and I can relate to that, each and every single one of you here. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through that Jesus never turned his face or his eyes from you. There's no sin too big, no, no sin too great that God can't forgive. There may be something in here that you're struggling with this morning and God is, is asking you and God is looking at you and God has his hands outstretched towards you and is saying, come to me. God's never gonna shy away from you. Even for the things that you and I fail to do from here on out. We see a picture of grace in John chapter four to where Jesus goes headlong and straightforward into a place that was marked, yes, by rape, yes, by revenge, yes, by murder. But he's rewriting the story He's rewriting your story. Even if you think your life has no purpose, your life has no meaning, you're, you, you're questioning what God wants you to do this morning. 
God's not gonna shy away from you and his purpose for your life is good. He can rewrite any story, any story. Jesus had no such bias with that woman and he never, ever, ever will ever bypass any of our stories, no matter how dark we think they are, no matter how confusing we think they are. Observation number two, the woman's view of Jesus changed. If you notice throughout that portion of scripture, when she addresses him, first she sees him as a Jew, then she sees him as a prophet, and then towards the end of that chapter, she knows he's the Messiah. That's what grace will do in your life. If you allow God to do the work that only he can do in your life, grace will change you. It'll set you free. It'll give you a new outlook on life. That's exactly what this story embodies and what it represents. We can come to Jesus with anything. The Bible says for us to approach his throne boldly and confidently. Jesus has made a way for us. And I know most of you in here are followers of Jesus without a shadow of a doubt. But I wanna encourage you to continue to let his grace change you because his grace never runs out. It's always for you. It's always there. It's never giving up. It is running over. It is abundant. It's there time and time again. When you think that there's no more grace for you in this life, there's still grace for you. Observation number three. Can I have the worship band come up? Grace... Some of this is gonna blow your minds. I'm praying that that God will just download this into your spirit. Grace is a person. Can I say that again? Grace is a person. Take a look at Titus chapter two, verse 11. I think we have it up here. Paul is writing his letter to Titus and he says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. What's Paul talking about there? It's not a matter of what, but it's a matter of who. Grace is a person. When you read the story of the woman at the well, when you read the other stories of the encounters that Jesus had, with people from all different walks of life. He embodied grace. Where do we receive our salvation from? Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved. Sometimes we get hooked, we get hooked on, the, on the salvation part of it. We think that salvation is what is, is how we earn our salvation. But no, in fact, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved. It's grace that saves us. Grace is a person. 
when Jesus hung on the cross, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve. Who did he give us so that we could be right with God? Jesus. Grace is a person. It's no longer a concept. It's no longer an idea. It's no longer a principle. It's no longer something that is, that is intangible. Grace is completely and holy and undeniably tangible because grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Can we pray this morning? God, we stand here as one body in this place this morning. And I thank you that you've revealed yourself this morning as grace. You've revealed yourself this morning as being giving to us when we didn't deserve anything. God, we deserve the penalty. We deserve death. But God, because of what you've done on our behalf, we can come to you. God, I thank you that you've, you've strategically placed the story of this woman in your word so that we could understand and come to a, come into a, a greater idea, a greater picture of who grace is. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been on the, uh, maybe you've been on the fringes, maybe you've been watching Jesus from a distance, you've been watching churchgoers from a distance, but you wanna have an encounter with grace this morning. If you wanna have an encounter with the person of grace this morning, I wanna ask you to raise your hand. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, we wanna give you that opportunity. Some of you in here may view Jesus as, just like this woman did, as a, as a person. Some of you may view him as, as a teacher. But just like this woman's view of Jesus changed, if you're in here this morning and you say, Andrew, I wanna experience the fullness of who Jesus is. I wanna experience the fullness of who grace is. Can you raise your hand this morning? I wanna pray for you say, I'm here and I want to experience the grace of God through the person of Jesus. Just a fresh grace. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in here this morning. God, I thank you that you've, you've changed our hearts from the inside out. And Jesus, I thank you that you're giving us a new idea and a new understanding of who it is that you are. And God, knowing that there is no history, there's no past that could measure up or overtake the grace 
that you are and the grace that you embody. Church, we have people up here who are willing to pray with you. We're going to sing one more song this morning. Would you stand with us?